Welcome to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Haggerty. You can find my work at joehaggerty.substack.com. Uh, if you join with a premium membership, you will get all of my articles sent directly to your inbox via email, and you can read them all uh, beginning to end. Even if you just sign up for the free uh, portion of the newsletter, you will get everything sent to you, but a lot of the stuff you will not be able to read. So sign up for that premium membership. Also, you can check out my stuff at Boston Sports Journal after every game. I'm uh, doing uh, uh, what I like to call and what Rob Bradford used to call a golem. It's a gamer slash column after the games uh, that kind of gives a take on what I saw during the game analysis, all that stuff. Uh, thank you very much this week to Evan Marinovsky, uh right above me here. He's from the New England Hockey Journal. He's going to join us and talk uh, some Bruins. Also, some other stuff around the New England hockey scene. Uh, he covers it all for the New England Hockey Journal, so he's a great person to have on. Before we get to the hockey, though, I would like to really quick mention my sponsors. Uh, first, FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, NFL season's about midway. Man, my fantasy football team sucks this year, and it's <laughs> like we're already out of the playoffs because we're getting past that midway point. So we're right into the middle of things NFL-wise. NHL season's really cranking up now. Finally, the San Jose Sharks, God bless them, got a win. Uh, so now they're, you know, they're... There, thank God for Mike Greer. They got a win. I was worried about him and Quinny out in San Jose, <laughs> but the point is, there's a lot of good stuff to bet on with FanDuel and Wager on. Uh, so right now, customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. So visit FanDuel.com/Boston and kick off the NFL season. Also, uh, let's thank Factor Meals. Uh, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, delicious meals, healthy meals, ready in two minutes. If you're busy like me running around from tournaments to hockey games to all kinds of stuff, it's perfect uh, for lunch and dinner meals. Uh, my wife is very health conscious. She loves it too, so it checks all the boxes. Head to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code hags50 to get 50% off your first box. I am uh, a client in addition to a... Ooh. They are a delicious, the factor meals. So... Uh, thank you very much to them. Now let's get on with the hockey. Evan, um, let's just right off the hop. Mason Lowry, should he play another game in the AHL for Providence? He's been pretty impressive as far as I've been concerned since he came up, scored a goal in his last game along with Johnny Beecher. It was a real statement uh, again, which we've seen a bunch this season, that the kids are doing extremely well for this Bruins team and perhaps their uh, draft and development pipeline was way more maligned by places like the Athletic than it should have been. Uh, based on what we've seen development-wise with a lot of the young kids this season, uh, should Mason Lowry just stick around and they figure out a way to make it work based on what we've seen? It's interesting. I was sort of conflicted uh, after uh, Monday night's game against the Stars. It's weird when they play Mondays. I'm not used to it, like when they usually play Tuesdays. Uh, yep. You know, it's interesting. The offensive production's there, and I've liked what I've seen offensively. Just defensively, I think there's been – he's been uh, – he's struggled at times, you know, against Detroit. Um, I know he got benched there at the end uh, against the da uh, against the Stars, which, I, you know, again, I get. I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's you know, Monty's just like Cassidy, and it's like, you know, if you're a younger player and you make a mistake towards the end of a game against a good team, like that's going to happen. That doesn't really matter who the coach is. Yeah, I'm not even sure that call that benching. I'd call that shortening the bench and going with players that, you know, you, you yes. have confidence in or whatever. Like he's playing. He, I think he's played more than 20 minutes in every single game that he's played since he come up. So you're not really sitting on the bench that much if you're a defenseman, if you're getting over 20 minutes a night uh, at the end. No. Of the game. 
No, I, I so I, the interesting thing with Lowry is like, and this, I, you know, my feeling on him coming out of training camp was like, you know, it's good he's going to Providence, get used to de- the defensive systems, get used to structure, all those things. Um, so I, I think, you know, to me, like this is such a half-hearted answer. Uh, the jury's still out. Uh, you know, on whether or not he should go back. You know, I again, I liked what I've seen offensively. He's assertive. He shoots the puck from the point. You know, like he's, I think he already has more points than than Hampus Lindholm this year, yep. um, just off the top of my head, uh, or at least it's similar. Um, but it's just that defensive side. I mean, the other thing is like when when everybody's healthy again, right? Now, Grizzly won't be healthy, you know, be back until the end of November at the earliest. You know, is it worth keeping him around to be a third pairing defenseman up here. I think that's sort of the question. I know a lot of people are very quick to want to jump to, to, to ship Grizzly out of town or forward out of town. But I, I just, to me, I think like it would be the worst if he went back to Providence, if, if the kind of the inconsistent play in his own zone continues again, he's a younger defenseman in the NHL who was a forward like four years ago. Yep. So I, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's a bad thing if he does, but again, if he lights the world on fire in these next couple games, then that's sort of put to bed. But just through three games that I've seen, I'm sort of still wanting to see a little more out of the defensive zone. I mean, look, from what I've seen, like obviously there's going to be growing pains with a player that's 22 years old. That's, you know, played like what, 10, 15 AHL games uh, after yeah. from Ohio State. Even including last year. Right. That's what I mean. There's obviously going to be things that he's going to have to work on at the NHL level. There's obviously uh, things where he's going to get exploited by more experienced players. Um, and there's going to be times in his D zone for sure, because he's not known as, you know, a, a stay at home defenseman. That's not what he does best. No. Like, I think throughout his career, there's always going to be a balance between trying to be serviceable and, you know, good enough defensively while also shining the light on his puck moving skills, his ability to, you know, be assertive offensively and to really make Picking your spots. Yeah. So like, you know, and I think obviously he's focused a lot from everything I've ever talked to him and, and the coaches, the, the focus has been on exactly that, picking his spots, making sure fundamentally he's sound and he's good as a two-way defenseman before he really, you know, just like lets everything go uh, offensively and really like, you know, gets really aggressive like he wants to, as far as moving the puck and looking for offense. But bottom line they beat the Dallas stars, a very good team on the road. Uh, the reason they lost their wings game, as far as I'm concerned, was the penalties they were taking and they lost their composure in that game. That wasn't about, you know, uh, some of the stuff that was happening defensively. I just felt like, you know, they, they sort of lost their, their focus in the third period of that game in the second half of that game and lost their composure. And that was a big reason that they, they were, were, they were also due for regulation. Loss. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. And it was wild. against a good, it was against a good team. You know, it was against a good team that, Obviously, like in the second period, when they were getting power plays, they were putting their power play unit out there. Like they, that's how they got back in the game. And yeah, it's, it's, you're going to lose some of those, but just the fact that they've been missing Charlie McAvoy, they've been missing Derek Forbort, they've been missing Matt Grizzlick. And for the most part, you haven't noticed for the most part, they've still won games. They've still been extremely competitive. There has not been glaring mistakes that Mason Lowry has made you know, defensively, or you can't really point to a ton that has been happening and say, that's his fault. You know, there's a couple things here or there for sure, but like, it's been as good or better than it was before, <laughs> you know, the train just yeah. continues to roll with what they're doing. 
So like when I see that and I see the impact that he's making more than others offensively, um, and it's basically what we saw in training camp. I thought he was ready to go in training camp. He looked NHL ready to me in training camp. He continues to look that way now. And I think if he gets sent down, it's because they can't make a trade um, to open up a spot for him when everybody gets healthy and when everything comes back. Like, I I, it, I don't think he's going to be, uh, even if everybody's healthy, I don't think he's a bottom six defenseman, uh, bottom pairing defenseman in Boston. I think if everybody comes back healthy, he's going to be a top four defenseman and somebody else is going to slide down to wanting pairing. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I, know. I just need to see, I just need to see a little more, uh, you know, again, to, to make that. Cause like, I agree, like there is a spot for him in that top four, if he continues to produce offensively and you know, I, the defensive metrics also just haven't been amazing for him the last couple of games, you know, out chance. Oh God. Are you going to get out the, the biographs? Are you going to get out all the stuff that's going to make my eyes glaze over right now, Evan? Do it. I'm going to, I'm going to put you to sleep. You're going to, it's going to be my podcast from now on. You're going to fall asleep. Um, but then, you know, the real, the reality is, and, and also the other thing is like the goaltender, like uh, against Dallas, Swayman was outstanding. Yes. Now, I don't remember exactly the true. number of yes. uh, chances that uh, happened when Lowry was out there, but yes. you know, I know they were have you know pretty much outchanced, yeah, uh, fairly heavily. So again, like the goaltending has been great. I think that's another thing that you know you haven't noticed the defensemen at times because Swayman's been that good. I think one of the biggest stories of this the start of the season is. This is the best Swayman has ever looked to me yeah. in the NHL. Like, and we're gonna, we're yes, we're gonna get I back know. to that because that's another thing we're gonna talk about. But you're right, you're absolutely right that the goaltending has been uh, very strong and has erased a lot of the mistakes that are being made, or you know some of the things that are going right in front of them in the D zone. They're, you're you're 100 correct uh, about that, and that sort of factors into the calculation as well. But like, you know. When it comes to uh, when it comes to defensive zone work, when it comes to, um, you know that kind of stuff, like I'll I'll let I'll give leeway uh, and slack all day long to the fancy stats crew when it comes to offense, <laughs> when it comes to shots on net, when it comes to puck possession, when it comes to a lot of those other things. Like I salute you. Most of the time, they're throwing out stats that are telling me what I'm already seeing. Like everybody's going to trot out fancy stats from the Dallas game that say uh, the fourth line was great. Like, thanks. I, I could see that with my eyes. Like, I, it was obvious in that game that Oscar Steen and, and Johnny Beecher and um, who else? Danton Heinen. And Danton Heinen, thank you, were very good in that game. Like, you know, I, I, that's the part that kills me about the fancy stats. Is like, it, when everybody's already saying the line is playing great, I don't need to hear that they outshot their counterparts, like, uh, eight to one when they were on the ice. Like, it's obvious. Like, tell me something I'm not seeing with my eyes. But on in the defensive zone, uh, issues when it comes to the defensive side of the puck i think good defensive players very often are just trashed by fancy stats they they look uh, bad in the fancy stats categories they have fancy stats like pocket protector brigade that are killing them like the Derek forwards of the world that block shots that kill penalties that do a lot of those things those are never the darlings of the, of that kind of stats and those kind of numbers in that in that crew and so i i don't put a lot of um I don't put a lot of uh, credence as far as I'm concerned in the defensive zone metrics. I still don't think they've been perfected or tell the real story of what's going yeah. on. But, but that being said, I agree with you that, you know, there are things he's going to have to learn. He's 22 years old. It's it, but it, I think it's a, 
I put it this way. I think Mason Lowry is very quickly uh, entering uh, a realm that's exactly where Matt Potra was in training camp and through the first nine games of the season, where I think Mason Lowry is doing so much to help this team win and is doing so much to make an impact that he's almost getting to the point where he's saying to the Boston Bruins management, you can't send me down. You need me here. Like I'm so good at what I do and I'm so good. And he's going to continue to spread his wings. And I think eventually he's going to be the guy that's at the point quarterback in the power play on the first power play. And cause I think he's much more yeah. of a natural power play quarterback than any of the other defensemen they have with all due respect to uh, McAvoy and Lindholm. Like, I think he's going to continue to show that there is a place for him here, that he can make an impact here, and that he belongs here, and that competitively speaking, the Bruins can't send him back, in addition to him, like, development-wise. And I, I, you know, that's what I see. But, like, obviously, you're right that there are definitely things he's going to have to learn and get better at. We're already seeing him on that. You saw him, I think, in Dallas a little bit on that second power play unit, because, by God, does does that need a a new quarterback? Um, Yep. So, I, I just... You know, it's interesting with the advanced stats because you're right. Sometimes you're, you know, you're Brandon Carlos of the world, you Derek Forberts can yep. kind of get hammered with that. Um, but there's there's context. I mean, I think people can look at, you know, the, the defensive zone start percentage that they have and know that, hey, you know, guy like Forbert and Carlo are out there a lot, you know, in their own zone. You know, they're going to get out chance. Yep. Uh, but I think with guys like Lowry, where, uh, you know, again, in the past couple of games, Lowry has gotten uh, kind of even deployment throughout the ice. So I don't think it's been, you know, overly in the offensive or defensive zone. I think in a perfect situation to start his career, if everybody wasn't hurt, you know, the majority of his starts would be either, you know, uh, on the fly or in the offensive zone. Yeah. Uh, But he's, he is having to adapt to playing with Brandon Carlo and being in the defensive zone. Um, So again, he's getting those tougher matchups. He's getting, uh, you know, difficult ice time. Uh, But I agree. And again, like, you know, in terms of helping them win, I mean, yeah, scores a goal the other night. Uh, assisted on um, on uh, whose goal was it against Toronto? I mean, he assisted on someone's, and mm-hmm. then he almost scored one himself. Like ju- you know, uh, Samsonov was turned the other way. So I, to me, like I, I, you're right. I think the production is there. Um, I just wonder because the Bruins love their well-rounded players. You know yep. this. They love their well-rounded guys. Yep. I wonder if you know whenever the decision has to be made. Uh, you know, again, and if he continues to light up the world points wise, you have no choice. You can't like you need those. This team needs those points. Um, but I do wonder if at the end of a couple games, they say, hey, you know what, guys, come back. Let's you know, we're contending. Let's get him some more seasoning. I did think it was very interesting, though, that Montgomery mentioned that um, that Mujanel said that was his best game uh, yes. against the Maple Leafs. He's had all season. Yes. Including the AHL. So, yes, you know. I think it's, you know, it's going to depend on that and, and where he fits. But again, I, I said this on Bruins beat. I'm, I'm not ready to trade a defenseman yet. I'm not. Cause I, I think you're good. You're seeing it now. Look at the injuries that are piling up. Like I yep. think you're going to need depth. Um, and the tough part, and I think you and I've said this before, Forbert and Grizzly bring different things. You, it's not right. the same defenseman. You can trade one, like no. one's a penalty killing shot blocking, you know, shut down guy. The other's a puck moving uh, great five on five defenseman. It's just kind of what you prefer. So uh, yeah, but I agree. I mean, low rise definitely trending up. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, like this is why, and I've been pretty consistent on this, I think if the, a defenseman does get traded to make room for Mason Lowry, I don't think it's Derek Forbort because I think he brings a completely different skill set to the table than Mason Lowry. Like he's not, you're not going to oh, trade yeah, yeah. away. You're not going to trade away your penalty killing shot blocking, you know, mean SOB in front of the net um, that you're going to need. Like when the, when things get nasty in the playoffs, um, to make room for Mason Lowry. Matt Grizzlick is the guy that's going to get traded uh, if and when they decide Mason Lowry is ready and they need to move a defenseman. And I think it's just as simple as one guy is six foot four, 215 pounds, and one guy that's is exactly nine, 175 pounds. And that's what it comes down to is like, even if Mason Lowry is learning defensively, it still is going to make the Bruins a much more formidable team and better team in the D zone. If they have a guy that's that big in the D zone in front of the net battling uh, instead of a guy that is getting overpowered physically when he has to play in front of the net as Matt Grizzlick does. And that's, that that's just reality. As much as I love Matt Grizzlick as a person and a player, like I think that's what it's as simple as that when it comes down to it is they want, six foot two 210 20 pounds across the board for all their defensemen just like every team that they play in the playoffs when they have a hard time getting to the front of the net that's exactly it i mean you know you look at it's a copycat league you look at the knights you yeah. look at the lightning you look at these teams with these huge defensemen and you look at the bruins like if lowry does fit right and let's say lowry long term is either with mcavoy or carlo you yep. know, Lowry is six four. McAvoy's six one, but he's you know he's he's thick and he's strong. And yep. you look at Lindholm, who's like six four, and Carlo, who's six four, and Forward yep. is six, like all these guys are big. And you know, and and Shattenkirk's five eleven. Um, so I mean, again, that's not tall, but that's not small either. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I do wonder there. My only thing with trading Grizzly, because I agree, if Lowry pans out, you know, yeah, Grizzly does become expendable. I just wonder what the value is. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. dump Grizzlick for nothing. No, 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 no. Um, I you, think you need you'd to, have get to get something for him. You'd have to get assets. And, like, it's it, – it, and that is a whole different conversation about, like, are you trying to get a, p- a player that's going to help you now because you feel like you need another scoring option in your top six? Um, do you trade him for some of the future assets uh, that you've traded away, uh, draft picks, prospects, et cetera? I think that's uh, the move. I think I think it is too. Is the move. Yeah, I think it is too, especially with their salary cap situation. I I honestly I like what they have for the for a team right now. I just think that's the identity of this team this year and I don't think adding one more forward is going to radically change their the the forwards they're going to be able to get with whatever move they're going to make. It's not going to radically change their offense where they're just going to be blowing teams away. I think this is a team that's going to be white knuckling it in the third period all year with one goal leads, two goal leads. Like we've seen all along, they just don't have enough offense to gain separation against good teams and even not so good teams. Like they just don't pile up big leads in the third period and pull away. And from that teams. wins in the playoffs. That it does wins in the playoffs. It does, but it's a stressful way to go through an 82 game regular season playing that way mentally yes. and physically. It, it, it puts a toll on a team to have to win like that uh, all the time, but that's just who they are. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to that over the course of the season. Um, all right, two things. Um, this was a tweet from uh, Butcher Grass, uh, like, I don't know, <laughs> within the last week. I'd be surprised if Mason Lowry played another game in the AHL and the Bruins don't make a trade oh. soon with one of these teams that needs a D-man. First NHL goal for Lowry. Okay, he he tweeted that during the Dallas game. Uh, and one quick aside, or two quick asides, 
Uh, we mentioned Bre- Brandon Carlo a couple of times. I think he's been phenomenal in this oh, first month of the season. Yes. Uh, killing plays, killing penalties, uh, playing strong, being a little nastier around the net, um, you know, moving the puck adequately, certainly stepping up to shoot pucks on net. And, you know, he's made a couple of plays offensively. Oh, that was the play. He made a play. Um, Lowry made the play where he found Carlo coming down the sideboards. And then yep. Carlo passed it to, I forget who it was that, that scored, but Zaka. he made a, made a nice pass to Zaka that scored. That was just a great play all around by both of those yep. guys. And it highlighted how much those kind of developed into somebody that can do make plays like that as well. Um, when he's, when he's put in that position. So like, uh, that was something really promising to see. Um, and the other thing was, uh, um, and he's been, by the way, he's been so good in his own end. Like I, I to me, like, this is what you've sort of been waiting for. Or not yep. waiting. I mean, it's been there the past couple of years, but I think there's been inconsistent play at times from him. But yep. I mean, the fact that he's turned into someone that is very worth the money so far and a good shutdown defenseman who can chip in offensively and make smart puck plays. And you can rely on him pretty much in any situation other than the power play. Yep. Like to me, I think that's, he like Lindholm has been fine. I think there are times Lindholm tries to do too much, which kind of screws him over. Um, Carlo to me has really embraced being a simple defenseman who makes good, smart plays and that's what's going to make him a, you know, a, one of the better shutdown guys in the league is make smart plays. And that's one thing that you see this at the youth level. Like, yep. you tell kids all the time, you don't need to dangle. You don't need to, you know, don't hold on to the puck an extra second. You know, make smart plays and good things will happen. Uh, and I think Carlos. Especially when those kids are coming out of the D zone, right around their, yes. their own blue line. Yes. There's, just make I the see, smart play. Yep. Just make the smart play, get the puck out of the zone, relieve the pressure, and then fight the battle in the neutral zone. And like, you know, and you're right. I, I think what it comes down to with Carlo is he's made peace with like who he is and and learns to uh, maximize his strengths. And, and he knows exactly who he is as a player and what he can do and kind of what he can't do. And he's sort of found his game Um his best game uh, while knowing that uh, the other part of that I wanted observation from that game was uh, Patra had, I think one of his worst, certainly one of his quietest games uh, while Beecher and, and Lowry uh, stepped up and, uh, you know, produced offensively and made things happen. And, you know, this is the peaks and valleys that we're going to see from a 19 year old kid in the NHL where it's not going to be highlight real st- stuff every single night. And that was one of those games where I just didn't notice him much, that much. And I think he ended up without a shot on net uh, when it was all said and done. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's going to be, you know, you're going to see it. I think you saw it. I think it was the San Jose game, which is funny to think back now. That team just won their first game on Tuesday yeah. night. I was really rooting. I was really rooting for them to lose last night and then to beat Edmonton on Thursday and watch the, <laughs> the hell storm that would come from that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's a young guy, 19 years old. Like, you're going to have some games where you don't notice them. You're going to have games where you do notice them. And I think that's the case for a lot of these younger players, but I think especially Potra because he is that young and he's in that big of a role where there are going to be games that you don't notice him as much. And that's kind of, as you said, the peaks and valleys, you got to deal with it um, with, with a younger player. It's unfortunate, but you know, I think it happens to everybody. So I'm not, I, I didn't read too much into that. I thought when you were going to say Bucci squeak, I thought you were going to mention the, that he kind of started the, the wheels on the Olmark thing. 
Well, that, see, that's what we're going into next is uh, I, I couldn't find the tweet, but it was a ridiculous trade uh, that he threw out there with, with like seven players. That's never going to happen. In, in a, yeah. For, yeah, never. Yeah, it's never going to happen. Uh, Patra was going to Edmonton. There was all kinds of craziness yep. in that. In that, I think uh, DeBrus I sell to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. We're smack dab in the middle of the NFL season. You know what that means? That means more time for you to get involved with FanDuel Sportsbook. That's right. Uh, the NFL season is in full swing. Even the NHL season is in full swing as well. So you should be getting uh, your wallets out, and you should be getting involved with the excitement that is FanDuel Sportsbook. Score, score early in this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS network right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks people. If your team wins. So if you have a good feeling and you know, um, let's say you you're betting, uh, all your money on the team that's playing the Patriots because you think the other team's going to win and the Patriots are going to lose. That's been a smart bet all season. You do that, you get 150 bucks from uh, from FanDuel Sportsbook. How do you like that? If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in the action than right now. The app is extremely easy to use. It's a wide range of betting options that include spreads, player props, over-unders, so much more. The app is great. Uh, it's It's very easy to use. Um, so visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season and do it right. Right now with FanDuel Sportsbook because they got your back and they're going to give you 150 bucks in bonus bets if you win that $5 bet. Mass 21 and plus present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. That does... Um open up the goaltending discussion uh jeremy swayman six oh and oh uh top five in uh goals against and save percentage in the nhl right now um definitely playing at another level uh has been all year and and i kind of called this uh, i want to pat myself on the on the back of the shoulders head whatever um i saw this coming because you could see how dedicated he was in the summertime sticking around in boston working out at warrior mm-hmm. going BU to work with the NHL guys Monday through Friday he was in warrior every day like you know working on his his uh training and and you know being in the best shape that he possibly could and really working hard with the Bruins performance guys um you know Kevin Neal and those boys Tim Lavoisier all the guys with the Bruins and you're seeing the results now like he I think he wants to be the number one goalie of the Boston Bruins he wants to be the guy he know he wants to be the guy that gets the start game one of a playoff series when they start the playoffs. He wants to be a guy that never goes through something like the arbitration process. He had to go. I was just about again. to say like the arbitration all... and then not be, and being picked over two straight playoff runs. Yes. And, you know, letting Omar's wheels fall off before they turn to him. I think is huge. Yeah. And then, you know, it, I, he should have played game five for that first round series against the Florida Panthers. I still can't believe that he didn't. But dropping him into game seven of that series was ridiculous. He needs to get the puck, get the nets 
to start the next playoff series because he has not been able to do that the last couple of years where Linus has gotten those chances. But uh, the bottom line is he's playing so well that I think it is kicking up people talking about, you know, is now the time to trade Linus Allmark? Uh, and I saw somebody threw out Linus Allmark to Edmonton for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, which is, I think, going to be the, you know, trade, uh, the trade rumor du jour that we're going to hear all year long now that Mark Shifley has signed a a big contract extension. The hot stove is cooking, Hags. Yes. But like, for me, me, even though the hot stove is cooking, even though the Bruins fans are getting invested, this is good for our business, right? With the uh, page views and everything else. Um, this is not podcast and podcast. Topic. Yes, that's true. That's true. This is not the time. This is not the year I think to trade a Bruins goaltender. I know Brandon Bussey's playing really good in Providence. I know that he looks like he's NHL ready and you kind of can, you know, come up with this uh, scenario in your head where Bussey comes up, Swayman's ready to be the number one. That's your duo. You trade uh, Linus Allmark, you get the $5 million savings and salary cap space. Maybe you trade him to a place where you can bring in a center like Ryan Nugent Hopkins that can be a top six center for you. Uh, and it solves a lot of their problems this season. But I have a big time issue with this Boston Bruins team that is built solely on defense and goaltending and like situational offense is going to be playing one goal games all year in the third period. You need two number one goalies right now with the way that they're playing. And you need goalies that are going to save you in the third period and make big saves and save you at points when your game is in a lull, like we've seen. That's the biggest strength of this team. As far as I'm concerned this year and last year's goaltending. That's why they fell on their faces partially in the playoffs is because the goaltending went out the door I don't think this season you can trade Linus Allmark just based on the way your team is built and how reliant you are on excellent goaltending every single night. You need them to be the Jennings Trophy winners again this season, Allmark and Swayman, just like last year, if you're going to be your best selves uh, for this Bruins team this year. Yeah, not now. No, don't trade Allmark now. I've seen this. Everyone's going bananas about this on Twitter. Uh, and also for Nugent Hopkins, I know he was 104, uh, 104 points last yep. year. Uh, yep. Up until then, he was, you know, again, you know, 50-point guy, 40-point guy, 60-point guy. Like, I, to me, first of all, I want to see, and I said this the other day, I want to see Swayman and Olmark rotate in the playoffs. I want to see them try it. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah. do. I know there's a lot of stuff. A strict every that. other game rotation. I want to see them try it because clearly yep. last year was not the move. Uh, give it a shot. Like uh, to me, you've got the goalies. You're the team that should try it. You're everything is yeah. is in place to do it. Try it. I want to see it happen. Um, so that's my number one thing. Number two, uh, you know, doing it now, I, I just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And no. also, if you were to first of all, also the other thing, Olmark has a modified uh, no trade. What are the chances he accepts a trade to Edmonton? so low i mean my guess would be zero that would be my that's not insider information but that would be my guess yeah i Uh, the only way i think it's a better chance of edmonton than it might have been before mcdavid was there like i think now like and obviously they're struggling right now but i think there's at least a legit chance to win a cup you feel like with a team like that especially if you're a goalie that can come in and be a difference maker but like yeah it, it Based on his comments, based on what he said last year, where he kind of like slapped Buffalo around talking about the, you know, not wanting to go to the cold places or something like that. Like maybe Edmonton's not on there for those reasons. And like, traditionally, it's probably not going to be a lot of people's wish list as to where they're going to go, but. Exactly. And for goalies, I think like defensively, they are not as good. They are, they are 
so behind. So again, your numbers are going to take a dip. You're going to face way more better shots. Um, so, and again, I, I think that hurts him because again, he's coming up on a contract year after next season. So like, I don't think you want to be, Hey, you're the Vesna guy in Boston, but you go to Edmonton and you're a middle of the road goalie. So we're not going to pay you anywhere near Vesna money. Uh, and again, I don't know what he's going to get. That's a, a topic for another day, but like, right. Again, I don't know the likelihood of that. The other thing is Edmonton would be negotiating from a place of complete desperation. I would hope if you were to trade Olmark to them, you would get a lot more than Nugent Hopkins, whether that's, you know, first uh, prospects. I don't know what their prospect pool looks like, but like yeah. you would need more. And the second and the other thing is just like if that move is to come, you want the trade market to be a little bit better. And I think you'd want to do it in the offseason. And to me, we mentioned this earlier, Grizzly for a pick. I want to see them get back in the first round. If yeah, you're yeah, gonna, yeah. if you're gonna deal Olmark, you need you need picks. That's what uh, to me that I think that's what you need. If you can yeah. get if you can if you can get a, a an Elias Lindholm or something, awesome, right? But if it's not such a sure thing like that, if you're gonna trade him, and I'm, again, I'm talking off season hypotheticals. Right. I'm like now is off the table for me. I'm right. saying hypothetically in the off yep, season, yep. I would like picks. I think that's what the Bruins. Um, should want because again you kind of want to you know it's a not a bridge year but you guys you're you're lucky that Patra, Lowry, and Beecher are sort of panning out you'd like to add to that I would think yeah and and I guess the argument for Nugent if you're to Hopkins, deal if you're to deal Omar if yes. you're to deal Omar I think the argument for Nugent Hopkins, if you were to make a trade like that, is that he's signed for a pretty good number for a long period of time. So you'd be getting a player that you would have for for the long haul. Uh, if you traded for him, but I, I'm of the agreement with you. I think if you're going to trade the reigning Vesna Trophy winner um, and you're going to trade him someplace, if I'm Don Sweeney or the Bruins, I look at this team this year and say, they're pretty good. Like, I'm not as desperate now for a top six center as I used to be. And no. I want to start recouping some of the assets that I've traded away over the last couple of years because we're not going for it this year. Like, this is a year where, you know, we make the playoffs. We've developed some young players. It's sort of like a transitional year, and we don't need to go for broke this trade deadline. This is one where we should try to recoup assets rather than trade them away and and go for it like we did last year and, you know, start to start to make up for some of the pain uh, that they still feel from <laughs> last year with the, the first round picks and the, the assets that they traded away only to lose in the first round with a loaded up team. So I agree with you. I don't think this is the year to do it. I think if you're going to do it, do it after the year. I think it's as much to do with the team that they have and the importance of the goalies as it is as anything else. Um, so I, you know, I, I understand. And like, look, I love the the trade rumors. I love that people are getting the, the stove burning. I, that's all great, but not something I would do. Um, all right, l let's switch gears. Omar for Gretzky, one for one for one. Omar for Gretzky, one for one. Now, <laughs> I'm doing that. That's, that's yes. what I'm doing. Is he going to come and be the head coach? We're going to get rid of Monty. It's going to be like oh, Arizona coach. Coyotes Redux, where he's behind the he's, bench. He's going to be a player coach. He's going he's, to, you know, he's going to run the offense and play on the first power play. I think and do analysis uh, in the studio at TNT in between periods too. He can do oh, it. Between, they're going to mic him up during the game. He'll just, there you go. You know, do a constant commentary and, as he skates. And we can guys. have Biz on the fourth line, too. I think that's what we got to hold yeah. up. Yeah. Why not? Oh, and, Bring and him all back. Talkit can come in and be an assistant. I mean, and I think it'll work out great. Yeah, let's just take uh, the entire – Anson Carter can come back for another uh, run with the Bucs. Yeah. Oh, it'll my be God. Fantastic. Switching gears a little bit, this is um, the Rink Live. Um, this is a – it's a Twitter account, tell. The Rink Live. <laughs> 
and it's, it's the a website oh, the rink live um why it's an interesting story i have evan here um he does a lot of stuff throughout new england for the youth uh high school prep ranks uh in addition to, to watching the pro hockey and covering the pro hockey and uh, he's actually going to saint sebastian's for a big cover to, cover story that they're doing on the prep season so i think he's the right person to have here to talk about this the title of the article is why minnesota's youth hockey model keeps numbers rising and growing the gap uh with other states and here's just a, like a, a a couple graphs from it um when you look at the numbers between minnesota and massachusetts some of the numbers have flipped in 1992-93 in division one men's hockey there were 204 division one players from minnesota and 185 from massachusetts that's pretty close to even mm -hmm. this these this season minnesota has 233 players and massachusetts has 127 so basically oh. half uh in 2002 yeah. there were 24 players from minnesota and 40 from massachusetts then about 20 years later now, last season, there were 67 players from Minnesota and 32 from Massachusetts. Again, Is this in the, NH in the NHL? In the NHL, yes. So 67 from Minnesota, 32 from Massachusetts. Um, and this is a quote here from, uh, I forget who this was from, but by having publicly owned ice arenas, it allows youth hockey associations to keep costs low and much more affordable. It keeps more kids in the game. The associations aren't bent on how much, how do we make the most money? Their focus is on how do we get more kids playing to the point where we need more ice now because we can't get enough ice. If you look at Massachusetts and when their numbers were declining and our numbers were increasing, their ice was shifting to privately owned rinks. Minnesota stayed public with more recruiting, more outreach, more attention and stuck by the community-based model. Massachusetts used to have more of that. They have good people out there trying to get more kids involved in hockey. This is not a knock on them, but this is an example of why we keep our ice rinks publicly owned and the benefits that become of that. And if you're looking at overall numbers, uh, Minnesota had 49,884 registered 18 and under hockey players for last hockey season, according to USA Hockey. Massachusetts was second with 41,000. So they were in the same ballpark. They both had uh, between 40 and 50,000 kids uh, 18 and under, followed by New York with 36,000. Minnesota and Massachusetts have the two most of any state in uh, in the U.S., according to USA Hockey. Um but uh, the gap between Minnesota and Massachusetts has widened in the last 10 years. Last season, Minnesota had 8,812 more 12 and under players registered than Massachusetts. In 2013-14, they had 45,000 compared to 43,000 for Massachusetts, which was only a difference of 2,000 players. So they've they've like significantly widened how many more players they have 18 and under it used to be a gap of 2000 between Minnesota and Massachusetts. Now it's almost 10,000. It's 8,800 um, at this point. So um, I'll, you know, I, I think there's a lot that goes into this. Um, I think th there was a lot of opinions uh, when I threw it on Twitter, the story and people were reacting to it. Um, some of it was definitely, um the traditional stuff that we've heard before and, and some people think it's because there's too much hockey in massachusetts there's too many summer tournament teams there's not enough practice time and too many games um you know lots of different things i honestly think part of it too is in a big part of it is there's too many leagues and too many teams too many options in massachusetts too much like it's turned into the, the the level of hockey is not good enough anywhere. Like it's not good enough across the board for a lot of these players as far as competition goes, because there's so many leagues and so many teams it's watered down. 
less of it in Minnesota, where I think the quality of hockey at these age groups is higher because they're all playing against each other. Here, you've got good players playing in this league. You've got good players playing in this league. They're not all playing together enough to really raise the level of hockey that they're playing, raise the level of competition, which is going to raise their level of play and make them better players. And I think that's a lot of what's going on. And it goes through to the high school level where there's, you know, hockey academies, there's um, club hockey teams, there's split season, you know, midgets, there's, uh, you know, uh, spring summer teams, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's prep school, obviously, there's regular high school hockey, Uh, but it's not like in Minnesota where everybody plays for their public high school. And again, it turns into best against best and everybody's, you know, playing in a smaller league where they're all playing against each other. In New England and Massachusetts, once again, it's spread out all over the place where there's so many options and so many different places to go that you don't get that sort of higher level of competition. I'm just curious to think or curious to ask you what your take is, what people that you've talked to think, because I'm sure this is a conversation that goes on with a lot of people that you talk to about why Massachusetts, while they st- they're still the Will Smiths of the world, and there's still the players, like the stud players on the Junior Eagles that, you know, are, are going to be top 10 picks in the draft and that people are going to notice. And you and I have talked about the U14 team with, you know, Pando's kid and Freddie Myers kid and Jim Montgomery's kid and all these other players on it that, like, some of those guys are going to get drafted. There's no question about it. That team's talent level is is through the roof. But, you know, why why do you think or what do you think the biggest reasons are for what we've seen as far as like the gap widening between Minnesota and Massachusetts? Well, you have to subscribe to New England Hockey Journal to read it. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> as, as you were talking, though, I was like, I this is an interesting story. And it's one we're always kind of working on thinking about. Um, you hit it with, you know, again, like you look at Minnesota and those kids go to their public high school and like Minnesota high school hockey is on it is a different stratosphere than Massachusetts high school hockey yep. um, or even preps. I mean, I think a lot of like Minnesota, like those have the best kids, kids go right out of Minnesota high school. Um, it was more, it was more football. like Massachusetts high school hockey was more like that. When I was in high school, I went to high That's school. Exactly. It. I went to high school with a kid, uh, Derek Edgerly, who was drafted by the Blackhawks right out of Stoneham high school. Um, the Catholic Memorial back then had like multiple NHL draft picks on their teams, you know, St. John. Yeah. Matt non exactly. Like all these teams had like stud players on their teams. So again, it goes back to here. The options have opened up and like, we always say it, the options are a double-edged sword because on one end, yes, there's a lot of hockey and there's a lot you can do, but on the other end of that, it's watered down. I talked to college coaches who are out recruiting all the time and it's like it's hard to find kids out here sometimes because there's a good kid here there's a good kid there they never play each other um and you also you know again you look at some of these select teams like when i was coming up um you know select teams you had to be really good to play on a select team now you've got a tier one you've got a tier two you've got an elite you've got a this you got a that and I think what's happened is it's great that kids have opportunity. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but yep. I think for the really good kids, it's really hard. And it's also hard as a parent. You're facing, you're about to face this right now. What do you do? Because again, if you have aspirations to play hockey farther than high school, what is the route to play college hockey? Is it prep? Is it high school than an academy? Is it an academy? 
Um, uh, one thing, an, an interesting thing that, that you kind of touched on is the academy model, right? It's gotten bigger. South Kent, you know, Shattuck was the big one in Minnesota. Yep. Um, and then out here, South Kent, then all those guys went to Mount St. Charles. And now you're seeing, you know, American Hockey Academy, Boston, North American Hockey Academy, all this stuff. Um, I, the difficult thing with that is, and you do see some Minnesota kids come out here when they're 13, 14, 15 to play against kids their own age. So you see this with Mount. Mount is pretty good at recruiting kids from Minnesota because those high-end kids, uh, I think like Dylan Dean's one, Conrad Fondurk is one. Uh, there are more that I'm blanking on. Uh, Want to come out here and play against kids their own age. Um, and so like Fondurk is with the national team. Um, Dylan Dean is with the Long Island Goals 15 team. He's very good. So like those things I think are very interesting on the, the reverse side of it. But I, you know, I had someone tell me, and it was an interesting observation that up until the age 14 year, Massachusetts dominate nationally. But once the kids hit 14, it's sort of like, what do you do? Do you go to prep? Do you go to your local high school? Do you uh, go to a select, you know, do you go to an academy? Do you leave the region? Cole Eiserman didn't play hockey here. He went to Shattuck St. Mary's. Like, yeah. So I think there's that dilemma for kids of where do I go? Where I, like, there's an interesting story that I'm always kicking around. Like, what would Massachusetts high school hockey look like if the program didn't exist, if the USHL and juniors didn't exist, if prep schools didn't exist, and if uh, private schools, if CM like didn't exist? And it's always an interesting thing to think about of like, oh, you got Cole Eisen with Newburyport High School, and you've got, you know, uh, you know, Will Smith last year with uh, with Arlington High School, and Ryan mm -hmm. Leonard out at Pope Francis and things like that. So, you know, but I think that's the ultimate reason. And the, the, the rink thing is interesting because there are a lot of privately owned rinks that do factor into those things and kind of jack the prices up. But one thing I've noticed is hockey families are more than willing to pay those prices. So I don't think that's as big of a thing as is the uh, what do I do when my son or daughter, mainly son, because we're talking more along the boys end of things here. What yep. do I do when my son hits 14? So that's the biggest thing. And I think, you know, like you're about to see it and and parents are all, you know, it's it's a hard decision around here because there's so much. And as I said, it's a double edged sword. And that's why places like Minnesota are having the success that they are because colleges fly out there without issue to go watch um, the, the Minnesota state championship uh, for high school, because, you know, along with the hair being really cool, the kids are really <laughs> freaking good. Yep. And like, they're all playing against each other. So I think, you know, you hit it there and, and that's where really, I think in my own opinion and, you know, talking to a lot of people about this, that's what it is. Now that doesn't mean that prep is bad or academy. Like, the hockey year is very good. It's yep. you know, that's not the issue. Um, and the other thing you have, and like you know, this is this, this. I love talking about this stuff, as you can tell. Um, like with prep, the best kids leave early. Um, whether it be they leave after their junior year for juniors, whether they leave after their sophomore year, like a Richard Gallant for the program. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some leave, like a Gavin Cornforth was with Thayer. He was with uh, Tony Amonti at Thayer a couple of years ago. Uh, he left for the USHL after his freshman year. Like there are kids that are, and there's no set right answer, you know? Right. And like you saw, like Owen Keefe, Jerry Keefe's son uh, went from Malden Catholic to the USHL and committed to BU basically, I think out of Malden Catholic. There's all these paths. There's no correct one. There's no wrong one, but there's a lot of paths. And I think that kind of provides a dilemma for parents and players. No, it definitely does. Um, 
And, you know, I think the point that they were making to a degree with the story about the the cost of privately owned rinks, the way it's become a money-making endeavor for so many of these programs that own the rinks and have the teams that play in those rinks, is that it begins to um, exclude kids that either can't afford it, or families that can't afford it, or families that just don't try hockey because they think it's too expensive. And you lose out on a whole wide swath of great athletes that could be great hockey players. Um, yes. You know, because they just never try the sport because it, it's deemed, you know, too expensive to play for like an elite team uh, in, a pro team in one of these rinks. And, you know, that's definitely uh, part of the problem is I think, you know, and I try to tell when I'm talking to people a lot, because when you deal with the pros all the time and I've, you know, you've been, I've been covering the NHL for like 20 plus years now, you realize when you're watching these kids, when they're 10, 9, 10, 11 years old, you don't know anything about what these kids are going to do as hockey players until they hit puberty, until they hit about 13, 14, no. until they start you know, growing muscles and, and, you know, getting bigger and stronger and you see what they're going to be athletically. Like you can be as elite as you want at nine and 10 years old. It doesn't matter. Like that's, that's the big no. dividing line is once you hit the teenage years and you start, you know, going through like adolescence towards adulthood. Um, and that's when you start to see what they're going to look like as, as hockey players down the road. And, you know, that's why I, I think sometimes like it's, it's a little crazy to go too overboard with this stuff about it being anything more than fun, you know, playing with your friends and and having a good time at this age, like, the club tournament thing is great. I mean, the club team thing is great if you're going into it for those reasons. If you're going into it to have fun, be with your friends, play in a couple tournaments, maybe go to Lake Placid or something, have a good time. Like, you know, it, that is the number one. That was my career. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the number one priority. Like with number two being making sure you're in a place where competitively it's challenging to you. Like, I think yeah. that's also important to kids that age as well, that they're like at least playing on some team that is like pushing them to be the best that they can be instead of like, you know, just dominating and being the best player wherever they are. It's be you're better off being somewhere that's going to make you, you know, push at that age a little bit, but you can't read anything on any players at that level. And, and even to call all this stuff elite, I think is kind of a joke at nine, 10 years old. Like they're just kids running around having fun that want to like, you know, go to McDonald's for a happy meal after the game is. Yeah. Old. They're eating sour patch kids before they go on the ice. Like <laughs> we were all that age and it was fun. And like, exactly. I, that's one of the things you see with these hockey families. And you sometimes you hear rumblings from different big families that produce a lot of top, you know, college kids you know, they were strict and they were hard on their kids. And that, you know, this, it's like, you know, great. I'm glad they got to the highest level and that's awesome. But like, you know, is that the best thing for a kid to be like, you know, treat hockey like a job from the age of nine. Yep. Um, and I think that's one of the things that parents, you know, that I talk to are always struggling with is like, you know, and I, a lot of parents like, Oh, if my son or daughter did this team instead of this, this would have happened. And I think it's so tough because, you know, like I, I hit on earlier, just the options. There's so many things. It's so easy to be like, oh, if I, if I sent, you know, Johnny here, he would have done this or, you know, and, and then you also hit on, I like the point of, you know, hockey is expensive and it, it takes out a lot of kids who are really good athletes who probably like hockey a lot and are just like, yeah, it's not really feasible for my family. And so that's the tough part. And and I think, you know, it gets more expensive as you go along. Hockey equipment becomes more expensive. The teams become more expensive. The yeah. pressures of, hey, you should also work out. You should do this power skating clinic. You should yep. do this other team. 
Um, not everybody can afford that, and that's fine, but it's sad that this game can't adapt to that and, um, you know, uh, be an option for people who can't afford three teams and two workouts. Away. I mean, you know, you talk to some of these prep school um, kids and parents, like, oh, I worked out, you know, every morning throughout the summer, and it's like, I was working at Target every day in the summer in <laughs> high school. Like, we had different upbringings. Um, but, I, but I, you know, I think it does come back to um, – you know, it's, there's a lot of options in the area. And, um, you know, I think it's an ever changing field. I, that's the other thing. I think, you know, I'm curious to see what happens. I know a couple of years ago, the big thing was like, our academy is going to take over for the prep model. Yeah. I think now we're seeing that probably not. I think it's a, a good alternative. Um, there are some academies that are, you know, better on the ice than prep schools, but like, you know, even a lot of these fall tournaments, Mount St. Charles is 18 team was losing to, you know, uh, club 18 teams in the area. Like, you know, it happens. Whereas, but all the other thing, it, it, I, I don't want to go on too long about this, but like with a place like Mount, for instance, like the best teams at a place like Mount or, um, you know, uh, some of these bigger academies are the 14 and 15 years because once they those really elite kids hit 16, they either go to juniors, they go to the yeah. program. Um, so when they get 16 and 18, those teams are fine. But they're not the high-end James Hagens at Mount, um, kids of the world at fourteen and fifteen. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's tough. I think it comes down to this: Hags, are you having fun? Yes. That's what my dad used to ask me that. Are you just are you having fun? Are you enjoying it? Yep, Dad, I'm playing with my friends. It's a great time. All right, great. And that was my goal was to play high school hockey at my high school, and I did, and yep. that was awesome. And I think you know most kids just want to play high school hockey with their buddies, and you know hit a couple kids through the glass and like, that's what they want to do. And that's, that's, that's hockey. That is maybe, get, maybe get a game winning goal and get a picture of it or get a nice video to throw on your Instagram. Like something or have like your that. dad tweet your highlights and Bobby or see them on Twitter. I think that's a valid <laughs> that's right. too. That's Not every right. kid's lucky enough that that happens, but they're valid. That's a valid thing to want. That's but right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important. And at some point, you're what you know, as as your son gets older and older, you're gonna have to start paying me as an advisor. If you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna keep throwing advice towards your way about prep schools and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's an ever changing thing. It's an ever changing thing. But it's no, fun. it it definitely is. And and the one other thing that and we can delve into this quickly is, um, the summer tournament uh, thing where there's like uh they're playing in tournaments every single weekend, elite tournaments, um, not, de not delving into a playing other sports, which uh, every scout I've ever talked to every hockey management person I've ever talked to, they want kids that play all kinds of sports. They don't want to hear that a kid started specializing in hockey when he was 12 years old. They want kids that yeah. play lacrosse, baseball, soccer, you know, whatever that, that play a bunch of different uh, sports that develop different muscles that develop different skills. Like, you know, uh, hockey scouts want, they love the kids that play baseball because um, you sit there and it's a totally different exercise of thinking about what's going to happen before the play happens. So much is reactive in hockey where you're just reacting to what's happening on the ice. Whereas baseball, you're thinking about what am I going to do when the ball gets hit to me? You're trying to outthink the pitcher when you're up the plate. It, it forces you to sort of think about things when you're on the bench watching, what would I do in this situation where you might not do that if you didn't play baseball. And, and there are different mm -hmm. approaches to the sports that they like to those kind of things. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. Lacrosse is great for that um, with the yep. hands as far as hockey goes, but the, the there's less skill development in the summertime and there's less of um, multi-sport athletes 
playing different sports because they're these kids are focused all year round on playing hockey and playing in these summer tournament teams. And that's filling up all of their time. And, you know, they were, and the, the belief was that that's a big part of the problem as well, which I, I agree with. I think specializing, you know, I I've talked to some people that, um, they're around like 11 years old, 10 years old, and hockey was the only sport they were playing anymore. And they weren't playing any other sports. And they were like, yeah, see, at that age, that's a waste. That's such I think a so. waste at that age, I think. And so this is the other thing is that the three. Well, it turns athletes, into burnout, right? It turns into yes. like a kid that doesn't want to play hockey anymore when he's 14 or 15. I, you know, the three sport athlete, unfortunately, is sort of right now being phased out. Um, and that's the tough, that's a really tough reality because a lot of prep schools want to continue that. The problem is, yep. um, as much as people say they, you know, kids should play three sports, kids who do focus, and I, by the way, I agree, three, like you should not be specializing before the age of 14 or 15 years old. Um, the problem is, though, that kids do start to specialize and they are working at hockey more than other kids and they are sort of getting better and then those kids who play through sports say you know what i like hockey the most you know jimmy over there is much better than me and he's you know doing training during the summer stuff i'm gonna go do that right and that creates the chain the domino effect the chain reaction of kids start to do that and i know like in prep there's always the question of should they start the season in october should they you know should the season go longer than march should it be like a college schedule um and the tough part is the kid who wants to play soccer can't play soccer. Um, right. And, the, you know, the soccer team's pissed about that. And, you know, other schools will see that and say, well, we're not going to play them because they're not taking these sports seriously. And it becomes a whole big thing. And I think one thing you're seeing now in prep is a lot of schools that aren't in the Boston area. So, you know, the, the kids like Sebs doesn't have a team or Milton, but a lot of like Kimball Union, Holderness, a lot of these teams, Cushing, have teams in the fall that aren't, you know, Cushing, but they're all those kids on the team who right. play for one team and compete in the fall. Now, you don't practice every day like you would in a prep season, right. but you do play together during the fall. And that's sort of a kind of an not under the table because that makes it sound bad. It's completely legal and fine, but it's no, sort it's of like, a way to get around having yeah. a fuller season. Um, and it's a, I think it's a good idea for those kids. If, you, if you're in high school and you're just playing hockey, and you're at a Kimball Union or a Cushing and you don't live near Boston and you need to find a way to, you know, you, you can't play for a team like the Junior Eagles or uh, the River Rats or whatever. Yep. I think that's a great thing. Like, I, I, I'm totally for it. But I think that's a way that the three sport athlete, unfortunately, these days is kind of gone. It's just like kids don't go from prep to college anymore. They go prep to juniors one or two years there and then go to college. So, I, I you know, I'm always fascinated by by um you know player development and how that happens um you know I, like mason lower i was at culver i remember seeing culver last year at a tournament around here and i was like oh shoot like Mason Laura is there like a couple years ago and it's yeah. you know and it's it's interesting to see these kids and and how they develop and that's why i got that's why i love my job because it's constantly you know seeing a kid at you know 14 15 being really good it's like i wonder what they're going to be like in a year or two and kind of seeing it through so um yeah it's uh it's cool but yeah i agree with you it's um it's it's a, it's a wild world and there's no set right answers for anything. No, there isn't. There's no linear path. There's no like one way there's that, that part is, is as good a piece of advice as you can give to anybody is just that there are so many different ways that work for so many different uh, kids that there's no 
one blueprint on how to do it and it comes down to to fit and uh you know when your kid starts to really develop and take off and but like i said the the bottom the tenets the most important things are they having fun are with they with their buddies and are they playing somewhere that's challenging for them and whatever level that they're at and as long as you have that uh, I think that that everything else is gravy and everything else can be figured out. I think it's pretty simple, like with, when it comes to those things, as far as choosing, but it is interesting to see how the numbers are bearing out and something is dividing Minnesota and Massachusetts at this point with the way that they're developing players. So something from a, a, a macro level is, is not going right in Massachusetts like it used to. And, you know, I think we're seeing like some of the radical, some of the radically different changes uh, as far as the model goes, for how things one are other, in Massachusetts and Minnesota. Go ahead. One other thing I do want to hit on before we go, I'd love to see, because we always, you know, you and I talk Bruins mainly on these podcasts. I'd be curious to see if people are really interested in these kinds of topics, because we clearly are both interested in them. And I'd love to see if people are, because I, I think, it, you know, you and I both have very interesting, different perspectives on this you're a parent i cover it so it's it's a different it's a different thing you know what um, we'll have to have on i'm a good buddies with uh john missouri uh do you know him the arlington oh, yeah, guy of course of Coach. course i do we, he's he's, he, I, I know he will come on a podcast anytime I and mean, i've want i've wanted him to come on here for a, a while so maybe next time uh we'll have him on and get his thoughts too on uh what he thinks uh is going right or wrong because you know he's he's one of those guys that uh coaches an Arlington team that's very good every year uh puts together a good program did the same thing in Winchester before that uh has connections all through the hockey world you know no knows all kinds of people has had Everybody. kids drafted that he's coached out of public high school <clears throat> hockey you know uh, before so you know he, he's somebody that I think uh could bring some uh, and I think we'll do this again well because I think this yeah. is something that, that people are interested in it for sure um, the other thing, Diver's another one because Diver yes. stuff all the time. Yep. Um, one last thing. It's funny. I was at the USA uh, Hockey Select 17 camp uh, this past summer in Buffalo. And it's interesting because, you know, the, those kids from Massachusetts that were there uh, were very good. And they were, you know, the talent was pretty even. They were, you know, they were solid. I don't think the team New England ended up winning. So the New England region uh, at these events does not include Massachusetts because Massachusetts is big enough that they have their own team. So the team New England actually won the event. They won the whole thing, which is crazy. Um, but I do think that, you know, the other thing you have to consider aside from Minnesota versus Massachusetts is there's more talent from other places. That's true. You know, like um, uh, at Select 17 camp, the best kid there by far was Trevor Connolly, who is from California. And I think you're, and he's going to be a first round pick most likely this year. Um, but so I, those, you're getting more talent from other places. Um, and I think that's another element of Massachusetts guys aren't just being spoon fed into the NHL anymore or to division yeah. hockey. You're getting commits, not just obviously from your Minnesotas and Massachusetts, but from California and Florida and Georgia. Mason Lowrise from Louisiana, like, yep. which they told us 755 times on the broadcast the other night. Well, he was like, born in Louisiana. I wouldn't necessarily yes. say he's from Yeah, he's not from it, but he's born <laughs> there. So it's good enough. Right. Uh, supports my argument. So I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're coming from everywhere. And I think that's another, and it's great that hockey's growing. You're seeing you know, Austin Matthews, I think is from uh, Arizona. Yeah. So like, yep. I think that's another thing where elite guys are coming from other places. And, you know, and I think that, 
you know, that's another factor. It's not the main thing, but I think it's also something to consider. No, it definitely is. And uh, what we're going to wrap up, uh, I will say, though, that you mentioned Mason Lowry and a place that he played. He also played for uh, Battery Hockey Academy uh, out in Ohio, which is one of the teams <laughs> that Finn actually played in a CCM oh. summer invite uh, over the summer when he played for top speed hockey. So like, I thought that was interesting when I saw them uh, send out a message uh, with Mason Lori in their uniform the other day. So you're right. You know, like you don't know who you're going to come across or where these kids are playing. They play uh, all kinds of different places. And that was a good program. That was actually a very good game uh, to watch. Um, so like, you know, they, they come from all over and it's interesting to watch uh, how they develop and where they come from. But uh, I think we're all in the v- a vested interest of keeping Massachusetts hockey as strong as it possibly can be. So let's keep asking these questions and keep trying to figure out um, what Minnesota is doing right and what we're not doing as well as we used to do in order to, you know, crank out more uh, college hockey players, crank out more NHL draft picks, crank out more players that are high end elite level um than we're doing recently in the last few years uh, evan thank you very much for joining us evan maranowski from new england hockey journal he's going to go do his photo shoot at saint sebastian's <laughs> it should be fantastic for their cover story uh let's yep. thank our sponsors uh factor meals head to factormeals.com slash hags 50 and use code hags 50 to get 50 percent off your first box and FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, the NFL season's in full swing right now, NHL season two. Uh, you get 150 bucks in bonus bets with any f- winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. You can bet on spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. Evan, thank you very much. We'll do this again and break down some Massachusetts hockey again sometime in the near future. Uh, everybody else out there, thanks for listening to the Pucks with Hags podcast. We'll see you at the ring. <laughs>